to meet with you, ready to be in your presence. So come and teach us more about yourself through your word. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Thank you, Matt. All right, so if anybody didn't get a ticket, come see me. Uh, we're still, you know, we're going to figure this out. The rain is there. You know, this Florida weather happens. Yeah, it's a, and it was going to be a water day anyway, so I mean, you know. But we'll figure it out. We'll, uh, they're going to probably put some stuff under the awning here, but we're still going to have the potluck. So we'll give you announcements at the end of this to figure it all out uh, from there. How many of you guys uh, ever had to teach somebody how to drive? How many? So, so I'm assuming, how many of you were parents teaching your kids how to drive? Yeah. That was, a, how was that? <laughs> huh? It was good? Oh, well, good. That was good. I had, all my kids are like uh, about a year apart. And so I went through a period of time, Ravi and I went through a period of time where, where we had to, you know, for four years, we were teaching a teenager how to drive. Uh, and I still say we deserve a medal or therapy at the very least. Uh, but, you know, and, and the funny thing about this is like Janelle, who's the youngest girl, by the time she's driving, she had five other people in the minivan screaming at her and telling her what needed to be done and all, you know, talking about how we we're about to die and things like that. So she wouldn't, she's not a, she's not a good person to bring this up. But I, I remember, I can still remember getting behind the wheel of a car. Remember that feeling like the first time that you've got the freedom, you've, you know, this is, this is yours. It was one thing. It was always one thing to be going along for a ride in the car with somebody, but it was another thing altogether to be the person responsible for commandeering this, this metal box flying down the road amidst a bunch of other metal boxes. And it, it was, it was liberating, but at the same time, it was intimidating. And, and it was something obviously that we know has to be taken seriously. It's not something that, you know, is done willy nilly, something you just don't go off and do without some sort of instruction of some kind. <laughs> the disciples of Jesus had to go through something like that in the section that we're going to be reading today. Jesus is going to be sending them out to do the ministry that he's been doing all this time. Now they're not going to be along for a ride. Now they're going to be the ones behind the wheel. They're going to be the ones going out and doing the stuff. And that's a big responsibility. So we're going to continue our study in Luke today. If you've got a Bible and you want to follow along, if you'll find your way to Luke chapter 9, please. Last week we finished up chapter 8, where we witnessed Jesus heal a woman who had suffered physically and socially for 12 years. And we saw him raise a 12-year-old girl from the dead. So he was showing his authority over sickness and death. Today, as we start chapter 9, Jesus is going to send the 12 disciples out with a specific instruction to, to carry the principles of, of uh, the kingdom of God into the world. And, and this commission that he gives them carries over into, into our lives, into our role as the church. It shows us and reveals to us the same kind of mission that we've been given uh, that the church was to be doing uh, after Jesus's ascension. So that's what we're going to be considering this morning, this mission we've been given by Jesus and what its priorities are supposed to be. And if you're there in Luke chapter 9, we're going to begin with verse 1. It says, One day Jesus called together his 12 disciples and gave them power and authority to cast out all demons and to heal all diseases. And I'm going to stop right there. Uh, 
you know, we're reading here that Jesus gathers his 12 disciples and he gives them the authority to go out and do all this cool stuff that he's been doing in his ministry so far. And he's going to send them out in verse two. And we'll get to that in a second. But as I said, this is a precursor to our mission as the church. This is something that becomes instructive for us. And verse one gives us a very important detail that we don't want to just skip over and and not pay attention to in, in this. Uh, it's, it's important that we don't actually neglect verse 1 and what it teaches us because this activity that we've been called to, this mission that we've been called to, uh, is, is something that Jesus has empowered. It's Jesus who's empowered us to share in his kingdom mission. Uh, this has been called by some scholars the Little Commission. It's in contrast with the Great Commission of Matthew 28. And so... As I said, this, this mission that they're on mirrors for us uh, what our church is supposed to be doing. Really, the church at all since its formation in Acts chapter 2, when the Holy Spirit descended on the followers of Jesus and empowered them to go out and continue doing the work that Jesus had done. Now, I know it's possible. I mean, I know that I go through these thoughts. So anytime we start talking about considering our calling as a church to go out and, and spread the good news and advance God's kingdom in this world, uh, it's inevitable that some of us start getting very uncomfortable at, at this whole you know, idea. You know, I, I'm not really good at that sort of thing. I don't know what to, to do. I don't know what to say. I, I, that's not my skill set. And, and to those objections, I would say, awesome. That's, that's really cool uh, because we're on the right track at that point. Because this isn't about what we can do naturally. This is all about what Christ has empowered us to do under his authority. So it's really not about our own talents or our own cleverness. God is introducing his glory and his goodness into the world. So he uses vessels who couldn't do this on their own. Maybe that's an amen. Well, I, I don't know. If we think about the disciples that Jesus is sending out here, and, you know, we've kind of been following their stories, and we see more of it as this Luke's gospel unfolds, but, uh, you know, it, it drives home the point. Because when we look at this, we realize Jesus, you know, these, these disciples that Jesus gathered around him did not represent high watermarks in terms of their education or their social or even their religious status. These guys were not the people that you would expect. This was not any sort of a dream team of spirituality by any stretch of the imaginations. And, and that's the whole point. This is about Christ's power, not our skill set. And I still maintain, you know, that I'm a prime example of exactly what I'm talking about here, of God using the unqualified to, to do this thing of his. And, and see, this should be encouraging to us because what this does, the realization that this is about Christ's power and his work, it takes the pressure off of us. There's, I mean, there's no pressure on us in that sense. I mean, you know, all we're called to do is is be available, make ourselves available to the Holy Spirit to be used by him to advance God's goodness and his glory into the world wherever we've been placed, among the people that we've been placed among. And that's why Jesus chooses to work through the unqualified. As Paul words it in 1 Corinthians 1, the weak and the insignificant ones are the ones that God uses to, to turn this world upside down. 
Because when Jesus is able to reveal God's goodness through people who don't seem to have that sort of inherent ingenuity, God actually becomes revealed all the more clearly. When it's obvious that the, the people that he's working through shouldn't be able to do this. That was the, the whole issue in the book of Acts. That the religious leadership was freaked out because they couldn't understand. Well, these guys are fishermen. They're unlearned. They're, how did they get in here to say these things that they're saying? And it was able to reveal God's ability and empowerment. So, I mean, you know, when it comes to sharing in Christ's mission, when it comes to looking at this and thinking about our calling as the church, if we start thinking right away, you know, I'm not any good at this. If we feel like we don't know enough or we can't put the right words together or don't know exactly what to do, congratulations. Those are the exact qualifications that God is looking for, for those to carry on his mission. Uh, you know, this is about his ability, his empowering, not ours, right? We get that. So, so then Luke goes on to show us what this mission looks like in practice, verse 2. Then he, Jesus, sent them out to tell everyone about the kingdom of God and to heal the sick. And so Jesus sends his disciples out and he gives them instructions on what to do. And, and when we think about this, when we think about what it is that he's sent them to do, like, does this have a positive or a negative connotation to you? When you think about this kind of a mission, he sends them out to talk about the, the, the kingdom of God and to heal the sick. Does that sound something like a positive thing or a negative thing going on? It feels positive. And please note that when he sends them out, he doesn't say, tell everyone you're lost, you're in rebellion, you're in danger of hell, you're immoral, your behavior is offensive to me. Nope. Go and tell everyone and show them that God's kingdom is here to help. That is the good news. He, he'll literally say that when we get down to verse 6. Because when they go out, what it describes them as doing is sharing the good news with everyone. Sharing the gospel with everyone. This is what the gospel is. The good news that God's kingdom is here breaking into this world. Now, to be sure, there, there is a warning attached to it, and we'll get to that, but it's not out front. It's not what everything leads with. The instructions have two parts. Proclaim, that is, announce that the kingdom of God, that God's rule is presently active through Jesus in this world. So, so basically, talk about what God is up to through Jesus, and then reveal God's activity in action. Extend God's redeeming power to the people that you meet now in their case healing the sick casting out demonic spirits i mean this is the cool supernatural stuff that he sends them out to do and that when we think about it it's restorative in nature that's the whole idea behind it go out and and bring the the power of something restorative to their lives and it forecasts what the world is going to be like when it's fully restored through Jesus, you know, when God sets everything back to the good that he declared it to be in the creation account. And, and, and so there's a lot of symbolism that's associated with their ministry there. But listen, I am all for praying for the sick and seeking God's you know, supernatural activity. Uh, we should always be willing, I believe, to be open to the possibilities of God. If we, if we start with the premise that there is a God who created everything, then we have to check, yeah, right, at the door. We can't just, you know, say, yeah, this is not going to happen. Well, you don't know. None of us know. But this is all in his power. 
You know, this is all in his court. This isn't something we're going to be able to manufacture or make happen. So if this is what God's up to, then that's cool. Be open, be willing, uh, but certainly not presumptive in all of that. But the nature of the mission is really important for us to contemplate here. The nature of this mission is something all of us can attend to. That we join in Christ's mission by sharing the good news with acts of compassion. Now, I don't want to put anybody under pressure. This is a strange thing to be sitting here listening to this thunder on our, on our, on our water day. <laughs> but, uh, you know, God wants to join in on water days too. So, <laughs> but, uh, when we talk about sharing the good news, I don't want anybody to, to leave here feeling under pressure. Like suddenly, you know, like, uh, you know, I'm going to have to go to the break room, the crowded break room at work and say, I want to talk to you about Jesus today. Cause, well, here's the thing. If God tells you to do that, then do it by all means. I mean, certainly God could prompt somebody to do that. And so we don't want to denigrate that. But I believe that sharing the good news means a willingness to share with people, the people that we're doing life with in the world that we're in. Okay. I was just kidding about that. It might've been okay. I uh, when we're sharing the good news, it means a willingness to share with the people that we're doing life with, the people in the world around us, the reason that we have the hope that we have. To be willing to, to share with people the, the encouragement that we find from Christ, to, to share with people the difference that Christ has made in our lives. There's where we have to hope that Christ has made a difference in our lives and that we do actually have a hope that our lives aren't built around, you know, the things that we learn from the news or social media and we're so discouraged and unhappy with the state of affairs all the time that we just join in with what the world is complaining about because we do have something much better than what the world has going on. We have a hope that uh, far exceeds uh, what this world could could know. So, uh, you know, it's it's being willing to give the credit to Christ for the, the freedom of his forgiveness, for the hope that we have uh, of eternal life, to acknowledge that his values, that his teachings have shaped our attitudes and, and, and our abilities to live well as human beings in this world. But more than that, it's to live our lives for the benefit of others by doing good, by, by not just speaking about this, but living it out as a reality, to live in this world like it's already a better place. Doing good and being kind and helping those who are in need and defending those who are vulnerable and seeking justice for those who are oppressed spiritually or societally. The temptation for us traditionally as the church has been to, to fulfill one or the other of these things. We may like talking about Jesus. Maybe that's not an issue. I'll talk about Jesus. Somebody says all day long, we'll tell people at every opportunity about Jesus and the gospel, but, but you know, we'll avoid going out of our way to inconvenience ourselves uh, over anything. You know, we'll tell our neighbor, Jesus loves him. This is so important. Why did you come to church with me? But then when we see he's got a flat tire on the road and we're busy and we're late for an appointment, well, I can't stop right now. I can't do that now. Or conversely, we'll, we're quick to help if we discover someone in need, you know, jump at every opportunity to do some good. Lend a hand, be as kind as we possibly could be, but never be brave enough to bring Jesus into the conversation. 
Sometimes we'll fall back on that old saying that's attributed to Francis of Assisi. We don't know if he said it or not, but the, the phrase, go and preach the gospel and if necessary, use words, which is a good phrase. I mean, I've quoted that before. We put it up, I think, on social media not that long ago. We get the implication behind that, but we do have to remember that's hyperbole, right? That's, a, that's an exaggeration to make a point because it's incomplete. It, it, it has to have words. There have to be words. Jesus said, go and proclaim the good news of the kingdom. And so proclaiming and doing should not be mutually exclusive. Yeah, but Rob, you know, if, if I'm doing something for somebody and then I bring Jesus into it, it just gets weird. Of course it does. Nobody promised normalcy about any of this stuff. We've got an invisible friend. This is not normal. None of this is normal. We can't expect it to ever be normal. Normal is what we want to break out of. Normal is the pain and the exclusion and the corruption of this broken world. That's what's normal. We've been called to something that transcends that, something that draws us out of that, that that pulls what's best out of us and others. We have something out of step with the brokenness of this world, a message that's life-giving and restorative. It's nothing to be ashamed of. And if it gets a little awkward or weird, yeah, so what? There's all kinds of awkward and weird in this world that we seem to be willing to, to go along with. The power of God's love through Jesus and the demonstration of that love by cooperating with what gives life and what's redeeming and what's humanizing uh, in others' lives. That is the mission that we've been called to. So we share the news of God's kingdom through Jesus. We do good through his empowering. And then we pick back up in verse three. He says, take nothing for your journey. He instructed them. Don't take a walking stick, a traveler's bag, food, money, or even a change of clothes. Wherever you go, stay in the same house until you leave town. And if a town refuses to welcome you, shake its dust from your feet as you leave to show that you've abandoned these people to their fate. So they began their circuit of the villages preaching the good news. So that was the good news message, the kingdom of God and healing the sick. So in that time, it was very common for... um, uh, religious groups to travel around and and um, provide for themselves by begging alms. And they would carry beggars' bags and they would go through the crowd and they would receive donations from the crowd and, and they would you know provide blessings or prayers or things like that. And that's kind of how they lived. And so Jesus is trying to, to, to steer them away from that, to make some uh, demarcation between that activity and what it was he was sending his disciples out to do. He's saying, don't do this. Don't take a bag for collections and donations. Don't even take extra shoes or, or, or shirt or, or the new staff. Just go with what you have in simplicity and, and, and I'll see to it that people will provide for you is what he's saying in there. And if you get to somebody's house, hang out there. Don't start looking around to see if somebody's got a little bit better house that you could go hang out at. Uh, just stay where you are. It's a call to simplicity in the mission and a dependence on God to provide for it. And to me, that says that our mission is to be a help and not a burden. Interesting choice of illustration there. <laughs> now, I don't want to take a lot of time on this, but, but uh, it's a glaring contrast 
And I can only speak to our American culture and our and, and American church culture specifically. But there's such a glaring contrast between how Jesus sends out his apostles in this mission to share the good news and how often the church has fallen prey to greed and, and ungodly emphases on money or, or position of power. We've got this whole, and they're talking about, they're lamenting and they're writing books to try to figure out how to correct the whole celebrity mentality that's crept into the church where pastors are elevated to a celebrity status. There was a church ministry, you know, several years ago, but it was estimated that, that their ministry was worth hundreds of millions of dollars. And, and you have to say estimated because they refused to reveal their books to the ones that were investigating all of that. And I guess for me, if we can't see a contradiction between that and what Jesus is saying here, it's not going to do me any good to try to explain it. There's, there's something missing. There's something missing in our emphasis that, that seems to be here in Jesus's words. Keep it simple, Jesus is saying. Keep it simple. Do good and trust that I'm going to move people to provide for you. And, and don't go from person to person to get all your needs met. Just be content with who offers you a place and what it is that they've provided for you. Be content in this and attend to the mission. Because the mission is not about getting money. The mission was not about seeing to it that we're provided for as best we can be. The mission was about demonstrating the goodness of God's kingdom, the potential of reconciliation with God. Anything beyond that moves beyond the mission that we've been given. And I mean, listen, so, okay, so, you know, so then the pastor transitions to talking about his own church. And so I'm not trying to to lift Eastgate up as, you know, well, we figured this out and we're doing this right or whatever. But I will say that from the time Eastgate was formed, this is the principle that we've been guided by and, and why we operate pretty much hand to mouth most of the time. I'm looking over at the treasures, uh, but, you know, but we have what we need. You know, we, we're actually not out in the rain right now. We got a building. How cool. Yeah, but it's not a great building. Ah, we got a building. We don't have to move from house to house or whatever. We're, we're here. We've got what we've needed. We don't hoard what we have. We use what's necessary. And listen, if that leaves the bank account bare, well, so be it. And there have been multiple times in our history as a church where we've been with, you know, we've been like, wow, this will be interesting to see what happens here. It was, you know. Uh, and, and, and here's the thing, and I mean this, and I've meant it all along, that if one day we get to the point where the provision isn't there, where we don't have the funds that we need to continue doing what we're doing, then I'll take that as a sign. And then at that point, we'll say, man, that was a fun ride. That was awesome. But, you know, obviously there's something else we're supposed to be doing because we're not trying to build our kingdom. We're, we're working to establish his kingdom in this world, to see to it that this world can know what it's like on earth when it's as it is in heaven. That's our calling. That's our goal. That's got to be. And, and so Jesus says here, listen, if no one receives you, if you go to a town and they reject this, they don't want anything to do with the kingdom of God. He's, he's saying, move along. Now, he says, shake the dust off of your feet. And the New Living Translation tries to kind of expound on that a little bit. Uh, 
here's the thing. I personally don't believe that this is a, a statement of anger. And especially when you look at the history behind that action of shaking, I don't believe, and some have seen it this way, I don't believe this is Jesus, you know, saying, and flip them off when you're leaving town because they didn't listen to you. This was something Jewish people did when leaving Gentile territory. The idea was they weren't going to take anything with them from that territory. They were going to leave everything that was theirs behind, including the dust that collected on their feet. And I believe this is Jesus saying, if they don't want my kingdom, if they don't want the kingdom of God, they want this world as it is, then let them have it. They can keep that. They can keep it all. Let them have all of it that they, that they have. And notice that Jesus doesn't instruct his messengers to threaten anybody who didn't listen to them with you know, judgment. He's just commenting on the stakes here. Now, what's at stake? But there's nothing about this, I don't believe, that's intended to be confrontational in this. And it goes back to, I just believe that it's the concept that our mission is to be beneficial. It's not to be a burden in this world. The world is burdened down. It's, it's just like, you know, God didn't send his son in the world to, to condemn the world. The world's already condemned. The condemnation's already here. He didn't send us in to add, to pile on on that. He sent us in with this amazing news that something could be different. It could be radically different. That life is just a heartbeat away for you if you'll just embrace by faith the reality of what God's doing in this world. We're emissaries of good news. Okay, well, finishing up here quickly, uh, verse 7. When Herod Antipas, the ruler of Galilee, heard about everything Jesus was doing, he was puzzled. Some were saying that John the Baptist had been raised from the dead. Others thought Jesus was Elijah or one of the other prophets risen from the dead. Well, I beheaded John, Herod said. So who's this man about whom I hear such stories? And he kept trying to see him. And that's where we'll stop today. And so here, basically, you know, we're seeing the storm clouds gather on the horizon here. Jesus has now come to the attention of the the puppet ruler of Rome, Herod Antipas. And for a person in what would be considered a populist movement, that was not a good place to be. He didn't want to actually be on his radar. And we don't want to make the mistake that his intrigue over Jesus was somehow a favorable view of Jesus. His associating Jesus with John the Baptist, you know, as he's thinking about this, makes it clear that he wants to see Jesus not so that he can believe on him, but so that he can ensure that Jesus meets the same fate that John the Baptist did earlier. And to me, it's just a quick reminder, just a, a reality check. And I don't want to belabor it, but Christ's mission in this world is going to face opposition. Herod, as well as Rome, represented the ruling governments of this world system. They've got the power, and they're not interested in yielding that power to Christ. And, and, and historically, we have seen that that is true. Am I saying that a Christian couldn't be involved in, in government? No, certainly not. Certainly there have been Christians involved in government, and, and oftentimes we've seen that it's been like, you know, Esther-like, you know, for such a time as this, that they were there to affect the positive change that was necessary. But I'm just saying that when we step back and look at the sweeping scope of history, that the power dynamics of this world's governments seem to be in, moving in the opposite direction. 
from God's kingdom. In God's kingdom, the first is last and the last is first. It's hard to imagine how a government would play that out, where sacrificial love is the greatest expression of power in the kingdom of God, not so much in the kingdoms of this world. But, but while the systems of this broken world may oppose the, the good of God's kingdom, it really doesn't matter. Because Jesus overcame the world, and he overcame this world through love. And that is still what we're called to. Even when we remind ourselves that there may be forces at work that are opposing what it is that God's up to, our response is still to be the response of Christ, one of love. One of love, even for our enemies, as Jesus represented on the cross, asking for forgiveness for the very ones who nailed him there. And listen, we know historically, Herod after Herod and Rome after Rome has tried to stop the spread of the good news and it has never succeeded and it never will. Because Jesus said the gates of hell would not prevail over the kingdom of God and the work of his church. And that simply means it will never die. Everything that God set out to do, he is going to do, and it's going to be completed. Uh, it's, it's going to be completed when he returns, and it's going to be ongoing until that happens. God will see to it. So we don't have to ever, ever be afraid of what goes on in the world, of governments or things like that. That's not worth our fear. Not when we have confidence and trust and belief in a kingdom that transcends it all whose goodness has overcome this world, right? Okay, so this is our mission, the mission of Christ and his good news. So let's determine, let's share that hope and demonstrate its reality with acts of compassion. Let's determine to be a help and not a burden. And let's be encouraged because Christ's mission will prevail. Right on? All right, very cool. Father, we just ask you to... to Encourage our hearts with this. We pray, Father, that your, your word has its way into our hearts, into our minds, and how it is that we live our lives. We, we ask you, Lord Jesus, to remind us of the empowering that you've given us, to be lights in this world, to be a source of hope when there is no hope around us. Help us, Father, to, to be your church the way you intended us to be. We ask this, Lord, in Jesus' name, amen.